In today's message, Mike Burdick continues with Nehemiah. He states, God's blessing in your life and mine is fully realized when we find ourselves right back where we started. This is Awaken Online, a virtual library of the Sunday morning messages at Awaken Church in McMinnville, Oregon. So today I get to help us, I guess we'll stay up here. We're going to continue our series through the book of Nehemiah, and uh, today we actually get to land on the halfway point. So we are halfway through the book. So to quickly review, um, the Israelites have been released from Babylonian captivity, and they've journeyed in waves back into the city of Jerusalem, and upon their return... The city was found to be in a pile of rocks. The altar set up, worship is restored, and the temple reconstruction gets underway. Though it takes many years to get the temple built, it is finally built and worship is restored through the work of Ezra. And then along comes Nehemiah. And Nehemiah focuses his efforts on securing the nation and the city by rebuilding of the walls, a project that was done by all, for all, and completed in just 52 days. Now, in our study of this book, Alan was nice enough to walk us through Nehemiah's prayer and heartfelt concern for his people as we went into chapter 1. Kelvin spoke on the responding to the call with urgency in chapter 2. Pam took on 3 and 4, showing the application of our church mission as it applies to us being stronger together. Dean uh, went through chapter 5, talking about people taking care of each other through the singular source that is God himself. And last week... Monte walked us through chapter 6, showing the need to continue God's work undistracted as we realize the truth from what is our reality. And that brings us to chapter 7, a chapter that's got a lot of things going on. It's not really a fluid discussion. Um, The walls are built, the gates are about to be hung and secured. We're going to look back at the genealogy and the census records as Nehemiah tries to determine how best to repopulate a city where the walls are up, the gates are up, but the houses are still not yet restored. Today we're going to cruise into the first three verses of eight to see the power of worship. And believe it or not, if you pay attention closely you will find that the Israelites are actually right back where they started. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for this this time together, this time that we can explore your word and have it speak to us each in our own individual way. We thank you for the, the baptisms, the testimonies of how great you are. And the songs to you earlier, Lord, we just lift all of this up to you And we do ask that the meditations of our church's heart and the words of our mouth always be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, 
our rock, and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's just jump right in to the first three verses of seven and uh, see what's going on. There? Okay, cool. So then it was when the wall was built and I'd hung the doors, when the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, then I gave charge of Jerusalem to my brother, Hanani, and Hananiah, the leader of the citadel. For he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. And I said to them, Do not let the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun is hot. And while they stand guard, let them shut and bar the doors and appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, one at his watch station and another in front of his own house. Now, these are pretty straightforward verses. Once the walls are up, everything they worked for simply needed to be secured. So the, gates are go, so the gates go up, the guards are set, instructions are given, and leaders are established all to maintain that security. A couple things to note. When it comes to church leadership, maintaining the security of our church family, well, we need leaders that are like Hananiah that fear God the most. See, God has to be the center of their focus to be able to handle the pressures from outsiders and those wanting us to fail. The good news, at least for you, Bruce, is in the back half of three, where you don't have to bear the responsibility alone. See, each church member has to be on guard. We have to watch not only our church gates, but we also have to watch over our own homes. It may sound scary, like we're being enrolled in some military organization or something, but it's really not. See, though in Nehemiah's time, physical threats were real, and combat at this point in time was a feasible possibility, our combat is not necessarily physical. We have to protect the gospel we preach. We have to fear God the most to walk in relationship with Him in a way that promotes growth through the gift of His wisdom. But we also have to protect our homes. We have to protect our homes from all of the outside influences bent on destroying that very gospel that we stand for. We battle with false ideologies and theories that are not from the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we battle others that simply just think we're a tad too religious. And we also are in a battle with our own society, peddling just one more version of self-identity instead of resting into the image of God. All of these distractions cannot be merely waved off or dismissed as not important. Your spiritual security... And your spiritual security of your family is at stake. Properly exercising your faith has no room for indifference or indecision. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us that we need to always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for you for the reason for the hope that is in you. 
We always have to be ready to let them know why Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's securing and protecting the gospel. Matthew 25, 13 concludes the parable of the wise and the foolish versions, calling us to be watchful. For you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. See, that, that is securing and protecting our own spirit through a constant state of worship. And Paul in Titus 2.13 encourages his friends how to live and conduct their daily life by reminding him that he should always be looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. That, that is securing and protecting our spirit through the way we live each day. These are just a few of many scriptures that one can look toward to see the state of readiness we need to be in and why it is so important that we protect the integrity of the very gospel that we preach. Are we protecting our church and our church family? Are we doing all that we can to preserve, to defend, and protect our worship at home? This is some of the strong stuff that can come out of this book. Verse 4 through the end of the chapter discusses the fact that the city was not populated yet and many of the homes were still in ruin. Let's take a look at verse 5 if we can. Then my God put it in my heart to gather the nobles, the rulers, and the people that they may be registered by genealogy. And I found a register of the genealogy of those who had come up in the first return and found written in it. And the screen's not large enough, but the list that it's written from, or the list that he's reviewing, starts in verse 6 and goes all the way through 72. You're welcome. Uh, Yeah, I didn't practice my pronunciations. Sorry. But, you know, as I look through 6 through 72, and I do kind of challenge you to do this at home, I was wondering why this list was so important to begin with. So I actually did some research, and uh, I found chapter 6 come back alive. Um, I found that as I was trying to see if there was anything good out there to learn about chapter 7... I was astonished by amount of controversy and debate that was put online and in commentaries over the names on this list in chapter 7. Apparently, when you take the list in 7 and you compare it to Ezra chapter 2, guess what happens? They don't really match up. They don't agree line by line. Ezra has some names listed that Nehemiah doesn't put down and vice versa. And even when the names match, the numbers don't always correlate. They don't always line up. And (laughs) just like in good attacking fashion of our public, non-believers try to use this discrepancy as a means to prove that the Bible is not perfect, therefore we do not serve a perfect God. 
Worse, believers try to go on this weird attack to refute these statements by theorizing reasons why the lists don't equal. They actually invent a reality not mentioned in Scripture, and in trying to do something good, they actually turn around and blur the truth. You see, the truth is, is that Scripture simply doesn't discuss the differences in the lists. It doesn't explain why the numbers of the names are not identical. It doesn't even draw attention to the discrepancies whatsoever. It's just not there. So I started to wonder, then why is it here? Why is it important for us to look through like Nehemiah did when he was trying to figure out how to get people back into the city to inhabit the city? Why is it important for us today? And the Holy Spirit did help me out. He helped me to ignore what was not there and instead had me focus on what was actually in Scripture. I mean, first take a look at 5. Verse 5 says, Then God put it into my heart. See, Nehemiah wasn't trying to create a discrepancy. He was simply following what God wanted him to do. He didn't question what was in his heart. He just simply responded. He was continuing to respond to God the same way he did in chapter 1. His response to God never wavered and never required in-depth explanation. The second thing I noticed is that even though each group mentioned is listed genealogically by the father's name. So it's always the son of the son of the son of the son. They counted everybody. The grand total included people that weren't even named, which namely would be the women and the children. There was a group that they numbered that they couldn't even find on the list. And instead of dismissing them, they set them aside so that they could try to consider and figure it out even in more depth. But they still got counted. If you read close enough, they even counted the animals, the livestock, the offering. Is it possible, maybe, just maybe, Everyone was counted because everyone counted that they all mattered. They all brought a certain level of significance to the body, making it necessary for each and every one to be counted. Does everyone in our body matter? Is your own faith in Jesus strong enough? Like those brave folks that got baptized today, are you willing to say that your faith in Jesus is strong enough that you can willingly stand and be counted among the assembly? Not afraid to do so? Are we a church today 
that counts everyone simply because everyone counts. See, thinking in that light helped me see the value of what happens in the first three verses of chapter 8. Nehemiah 8:1 through 3 says, Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in the front of the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly of men and women, and all who could hear with, him, with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read it from it he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and the women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law you see when it came to worship they all came to hear the word all they could hear with understanding, they all came together because they all counted. But did you notice what happened in verse 1? When they all came together, they stood as one. One man. They all stood unified. There was close to 50,000 people at this moment. And their faith and belief was so strong they stood as one. See, I don't think you can get there if you don't count everybody because everybody counts. And I also don't think you can get there if those that are counted aren't hungry for the word. Aren't hungry to stand shoulder to shoulder worshiping together wanting to learn together and learn from each other. The last thing I do want us to do is I want us to take a look back at the last half of the final verse in 7 because I think this is how it really rounds out what's going on right now. Why this worship is so important. I'm going to read all of seven, uh, verse 73 in chapter 7, but I think the last half is up there. So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, the Nathanim, which were the table, uh, temple servants, and all of Israel dwelt in their cities. When the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in their cities. Now, when we started this study, I don't know if you remember or if you're power napping, but I was privileged to stand before you and set the series up. And we did so by looking at how the nation of Israel returned from captivity to re-enter the ruins of the city. And if you remember, one of the first things they did was rebuild the altar and worship. And guess what month they were in when they did it? They were in the seventh month, the month of Tishri. The month is of great significance in the Hebrew calendar. It, it not only holds a lot of festivals, but it went through a change 
that's even more powerful. Now, Tishri by our calendar fluctuates between the end of September and the first week of October. It usually hovers right around the end of harvest. And as mentioned, it was a month of, a, of some very important uh, Jewish festivals. But somewhere in the first century A.D., the Jewish leaders at the time created their civil calendar. And in the creation of their civil calendar, they looked for the month that best described the end of a time period and the beginning of a new one. Which month kind of really marked the end to the, to the beginning? And they landed on the month of Tishri. Though the religious or ecclesiastical calendar did not change, because they didn't want to disrupt the timing of the festivals, the month of Tishri for the civil calendar became the Jewish New Year. At this point in Nehemiah, the people came together to worship They had rebuilt, they had strengthened their walls, they would secured their gates. They have been living through accomplishment after accomplishment, blessing after blessing. And now blessed with the strength and security God has provided through their response to His direction, they find themselves in a place of worship. They're eager and hungry for the Word of God, and more so for understanding further what God has to say about who they are. In short, sitting once again in this seventh month, we find the Israelites right back where they started. For most of us, Our need for God's blessing in our life or over our life situation usually starts on our knees, yes? It begins at the altar through our prayers, our praise, our worship, and yeah, sometimes our petitions. It's okay. But as we continue that journey, responding to the Holy Spirit's guidance, restoration happens, yes? Our resolve becomes stronger, our faith more secure. And through it all, we move through one accomplishment after another. We enjoy one blessing after another. And before you know it, where do we find ourselves? Right back on our knees, worshiping the one who has never forgotten us, never forsaken us. And so maybe, just maybe, God's blessing in your life and mine is fully realized when we find ourselves right back where we started. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Awaken Church, please visit our website, awakenmac.com. That's A-W-A-K-E-N-M-A-C dot C-O-M.